0: Are we good on the setup? Are we good? Okay. Go well, thank you, Tim, for um, for having me back again. And it's an honor to preach here um, and be with this fellowship uh, so often. It seems like I'm never away, but I am like all the time. So tonight we're going to be in Galatians two, um, which was one of Paul's letters. To the churches and the church in Galatia um, they had they had some issues Uh, they like all churches and they had some folks telling them uh, that they had to do some extra things that were not commanded by Jesus to be saved and so actually Paul was pretty mad about that when you start the letter Um, But he moves on to assuring them uh, that they haven't missed anything, uh, that they don't need to do anything in their own strength to receive God's blessings, to receive his salvation. So tonight we're going to look at Galatians 2, and we're going to do the whole chapter. So, bad news everyone, we're going (laughs) to spend some good quality time in God's word, but that's really good news, because... There's nobody that we need to hear from uh, more than the Lord in His Word, so that's what we're going to do tonight. Let me pray real quick. Lord, thank You so much for this Word that is ever new and ever green, and it is for us. Before You left us, You said You would send us the Holy Spirit, and we believe He is here now to lead us and guide us and encourage us and even forgive us if need be. Holy Spirit, be with me tonight. Be with my words. Be with all these people here. Fall afresh upon them and teach them Your ways. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So when we go to... Galatians 2 here. Now, it's really interesting when it starts because it starts with a then, which means I probably should have told you what was before this. Um, but so it's a continuing thought from chapter 1. Um and Paul is basically he's vindicating his ministry. He's he's establishing that he is worthy to be listened to as one who was sent by God. But he says earlier in the first chapter, he says, if any ever if anyone else brings to you a message other than that which we preached, even if it's a an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. So there is a there is a center um of the gospel message and you stick to that, and if you don't stick to that, you shouldn't be listened to. So that's the context that he starts with here. He says this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted, with the gospel to the uncircumcised just as Peter wait a minute ju- just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the gentile And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Um, That is the first half of the text. We're going to call that... um, Paul's authority and the issue of circumcision. So that's the first chunk of the text, verses 1 through 10. Paul's authority and circumcision. The big problem here in Galatians is that people came to the churches, um, Hebrew believers, and they came to the churches and said, all y'all who are Gentiles, non-Jews, have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And this is a problem because Jesus doesn't teach that, and Paul, knowing that Jesus doesn't teach that, when we get to the second part of this um, when we get to the second part of this passage, we'll see that he's very, very angry at Peter with how he handled the situation because Peter was being influenced by these folks saying. Uh, that you have to be circumcised to be saved. And what we'll see later is, why is he so mad? And the reason he's so mad is because the church already decided this. So we'll get to that when we get to that context. But they were these people, they call them Judaizers historically, and even uh, some of the scriptures will use that word. Judaizers saying that Gentiles basically have to become Jews in order to be saved. And Paul says no. Um, And the context here is, there was a council of the church where everybody got together and the Holy Spirit had helped them to, to decide that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. So this had already happened. You can find that in your book of Acts chapter 15. And that's why... Paul is so mad at Peter because it was already decided. But he was being influenced by these people from Jerusalem, and he caved in. Um, And when we read the rest of the text, he wouldn't even eat um, with those folks who were Gentiles, non-Jews, because those people had told him, oh, they're not even saved. And, And Peter, God love him, he believed that for a while. And that's why Paul was so mad. And so that's the really, really big issue in the book of Galatians. What Jesus has done is he has said, I'm going to take away all the barriers to salvation. And so all the things that uh, Jews up to that point had believed to be necessary for their community, for them as the people of God. uh, They're not going to hold back others who are not Jews. And he gave us, Jesus did give us the sacrament of baptism to to have faith in him and, and show our faith in him and be forgiven of our sins. And that is what marks out the new covenant. It's not circumcision. So, In that way, they were treating circumcision like a sacrament, and it's not. It's not part of the new covenant, it's part of the old one. So it was given as the covenant signed to the people of God in the Old Testament, and not in the new, and these people from Jerusalem were trying to say, oh, you need to do that in order to be in Jesus, and Paul's like, no. So let's continue with the second half of our passage. Um. was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tear down, what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay. So, so the reason why it was possible for the people to get tripped up on this, for the Jewish believers to get tripped up on this, was that there were so many things in the Old Testament for the people to do. Direct commands from God, starting with the Ten Commandments, but there are 613 separate laws in what they call the Law of Moses from the Old Testament. Starting with the Ten Commandments and going all the way down to what you eat and when you eat it and how many times you wash your hands. And some of that stuff also was added in as human traditions, and then it just became a big thing. And so it was easy to see that uh, people could stumble into that because they've been doing things like all these observances their whole lives. And also... Even in the New Covenant, when Jesus came and died for us, he came first to the people of the Old Covenant. He came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So they had, in a sense, they had every right to believe that they were privileged because the whole Old Covenant was to the Jewish people. And then when the New Covenant came, the Jewish people were the first believers and and then the Gentiles were added in. And so over in the book of Romans, St. Paul will say, what advantage is there in being a Jew? And he says, much in every way, Romans chapter 2, the very first part of it. So there is a benefit to being a Jewish person, even in the new covenant, because the whole law of God that that led up to that was to the Jews and then Uh, The first believers were Jews, as I said. So it, it sort of makes sense. And then remember when circumcision was given to Abraham, was given to the people of God. God promised him, I will make you a great nation and your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So it's really easy to imagine that circumcision was a huge blessing and it was. Because Abraham became Father Abraham. We still call him Father Abraham today. (laughs) Father Abraham had many sons, (laughs) and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. Like, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be a child of Abraham, but it's not the best thing. The best thing is to be a child of God in the covenant of Jesus Christ, the new covenant. So that's what was forgotten, and they tried to make circumcision into a um, into a sacrament, into a new covenant thing that we do. That's commanded by Jesus to to lead us on our way to heaven, but it's not. So let's look back some of the some of the words that we just read, because um, Paul says that Peter stood condemned. Uh, that's very strong words. Basically, Paul's saying that if Peter doesn't backtrack, he's losing the gospel, or he's going to lose the gospel. Uh, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his faith because he stood condemned. Um, And the other thing is, let's remember another part of our Bible, uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 14, I didn't give this to Tim ahead of time. But it says in verse 14 that he, he's tearing down the dividing wall that stood between Jews and Gentiles. There it is. Wow. Okay. <laughs> For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Can we keep reading right here? Is that possible? I'm doing two sermons today. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So this is the context, because in Jesus, the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles is now broken down. And when Peter's not eating, with the Gentile believers, he's saying that we're putting that wall right back up. Um, And in Jesus, there are no walls. He just told us that in Ephesians 2. So, Peter's trying to put the wall back up and Paul says, you can't do that. There's no wall. Uh, Remember, you you might not remember this. If you don't, I'm going to tell you. That's what the preacher does. Uh, Remember, in the in the temple there was one area for the jews inside the temple not in the inner 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 area where the priests were but pretty close and then another area for the gentiles um and it was the court of the gentiles and it was further out and remember that's why our lord was so mad in john chapter 2 when they were selling stuff in there because it's a place of worship for the Gentiles. And he drove them out of there. They were selling stuff. It was like they're having Walmart there in the temple. Um, and you can't do that. So uh, so that's the context there even in Ephesians where there was a dividing wall. There was a difference between us. Jews and Gentiles don't get along. They weren't even, the people were not even used to associating with Gentiles. They would become unclean in the old covenant if if a uh, gentile entered their house so when paul is saying in both these places that jesus on the cross is destroying the hostility destroying the dividing wall it's big it means that people that didn't even eat together are going to be in the same church they're going to be in the same family the church is a spiritual family um and they're going to be eating together. They're going to have parties together. If you do that, I mean, okay. Certain flavors of Baptists don't do that. I know, Jim, but they're they're they but they're going to they're going to do everything together. They're going to be one people united in Christ. And this is what Peter is forgetting in this passage. So let's let's get to the next part of the sermon. But Peter has forgotten this. So he stood condemned, and then, I don't have any words yet, Uh, bring me back to the passage. Okay, he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Um, When I saw their conduct was not in accord with the gospel. One thing I want to point out to you, um, yeah, Barnabas was led astray, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was us astray i want you to notice and if you have galatians 2 if you have your bibles with you you can look at it but he uses the word gospel three times gospel um oh, don't ask me the greek i just forgot it but gospel is a very important word um, and in context here it is the core of everything that jesus teaches us it's the message of jesus Um, and if he's, I do this with my students, I'm a high school English teacher, believe it or not. And if I say something three times, my students know it's going to be on the test. So Paul is using the word gospel three times. This is on the test. (laughs) The gospel is the good news of Jesus centered around his life as God and man, his work while he was here, his death on the cross, his resurrection. That's the gospel. It's the gospel in the person of Jesus. So if you ever wonder what the gospel is, it's the good news about the person of Jesus who lived and worked and announced the kingdom and died upon the cross for us and rose again. That's it. We, I mean, me and Tim, Pastor Tim, could have a doozy of a theological argument later on about a whole bunch of different stuff. But if I had 30 seconds to tell you what the gospel was, I would say, Jesus Christ, God and man, doing the work of the Father, coming to die on the cross, rising again. Done. If you believe that, if you trust in that, if you go back to that, we we talked in our song earlier about meeting Jesus let's talk we always talk about helping to meet Jesus for the first time well you can meet him again if you already know him i i, I don't know about you but i've gotten into some ruts in my day um i've gotten into some sin ruts and i've gotten into some forgetfulness ruts and i've gotten into some Feeling guilty for no reason ruts. We can fall into that even if we have believed all this time. And Jesus comes to meet. I'm going to steal something I said in my previous sermon. Jesus comes to meet us. Remember when Martha, uh, no, Mary, at the end of John came to find him. She had heard the tomb was empty and she ran over there. Who knows which Mary it was. It wasn't his mother, but it was the other one. And when she came to see the tomb empty, and she thought he was the gardener. And then she was sad at first, and he said her name, Mary. And she realized, oh, it's the Lord. Every time we get in one of these ruts, we can just pray and say, Jesus, Say my name right now. Say the name that you gave me when you saved me. Um, And I'll turn around and I'll recognize you. Remember, again, I'm going all over the Bible today. But remember, when the two guys were walking along the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, you don't have to pull that up, Tim. You can if you want, but they were walking along. And they were sad because it was right after Jesus died. And, of course, they were bummed out because they didn't think they were going to see him again. They, they either forgot about the resurrection or didn't quite understand it. And they're bummed out. And so they saw a guy. And they didn't recognize it was Jesus. And he was like, What's wrong with you guys? This is my translation, okay? What's wrong with you guys? And one of them goes, have you not heard what has taken place in Jerusalem the last three days? What all things have taken place? Jesus goes, what things? It was so funny (laughs) because, like, he is the things. Like, Jesus is, so what things? And they're like, well, we thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel and da-da-da-da-da. And it says back there, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus unfolded to them the scriptures concerning himself. That had been the, forget this sermon. That had to be the greatest sermon ever. And then they're walking along. And later on they say, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And then... It, Jesus, remember, he he acted like he was going on further, you know. And they're like, no, man, come with us, stay with us. And when Jesus broke the bread, which we're going to do in a little bit here, when Jesus broke the bread, they recognized him. So when we get in our ruts, we can ask Jesus to say our name and recognize us and we can recognize him. Sometimes, the storms of life, Jesus gets hidden from us. Uh, We get into trouble. We get into sin. We have challenges from the world, challenges at work, challenges in our family, sickness, injury, whatever. And it's hard to recognize Jesus. It's hard to know what God is doing in our lives. But, we can always come back to Him and say, Jesus, I need You. I need to see You. And I need You to see me. We feel like we're lost sometimes, like nobody knows that we're there. But Jesus does. Let's turn back to Jesus. And again, channeling Jim Crenning, but don't put anything... Don't put anything before Jesus. Don't put anything before the love of Jesus. Um, there's a religious order um, that serves in the, the Catholic Church. They're called the Benedictines. And they say, nothing before the love of Christ. Put nothing before the love of Christ. We have to start with knowing that Jesus has come and died and rose again for us. God cannot hate us because He has already loved us. What is left for us to do is to receive that, to believe that all the time and rest in that. I know it's hard. Nobody knows it's hard more than me. More than Tim, more than Jim, obviously. (laughs) But Jesus is the one we can always trust, even if we feel that we, especially if we feel we cannot trust ourselves because we've got nothing to give. There's, (laughs) There's no trusting in ourselves. Um... Let's look at the end of our passage really quick so we can nail that in. The last three verses. I still have six and a half minutes. I'm doing well. <laughs> last three verses, 18 to 21. There we go. For through the law, I died to the law. Oh, oh, oh what did I say? 18? Okay. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Okay, so as we go along, we have commandments from God. We, the Ten Commandments didn't go anywhere. Um, we know that thou shalt not worship any other gods before me. I think mean, that's the first one. Don't ask me to name them all. I can't do it right now. You know, do not commit adultery, that's another one. Honor your father and mother, that's the middle one, that's the big one. And when we examine our lives day by day, we know that we fail that. We know. The only way to be successful at all in that is to do it in God's strength, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we fail, we have to come back and say, I have fallen short of your law, but I trust in your son who died for me so that the law is not standing in condemnation over you and me. Because when we're left to ourselves, that's all we have. The law represents the perfection of God himself. That, when, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you see the perfection of God Himself. Is there anybody in here that will feel like a success looking at the perfection of God? No. In fact, there is nobody anywhere, place, even if they have saint before their name, who will feel like a success before the perfection of God. None of them. Nobody. Anywhere, anytime. So, we go back to Jesus and we say we're obeying your law for our sake, for, the, for our benefit, not so that we can be pleasing to you. We're already pleasing to God through Jesus, not through ourselves, because we got nothing. Grace is that power that he gives us to do what he's asking us to do. If we didn't have grace, we couldn't do it. That's why back in the day, got him in so much trouble. St. Augustine was like, Lord, grant us the grace to do what you command. And Pelagius from way back in the day was this guy this monk that was like, you don't need the grace of God to do the law of God, just do it. And Augustine won that argument, and he should, because we're not strong enough to do what God is asking us to do. We never were. Um, And we come back to the one who loves us and died for us because there's nothing else to do. Remember, I'm going all over the Bible again. I've got three minutes. It'll be fine. Um, Remember in John 6, and and Jesus said some really hard things about his body and blood. In fact, he scandalized his audience um, because... They know they're commanded in the Old Testament, they can't eat, can't eat flesh and blood. You, that's cannibalism, and drinking blood is definitely against the Old Testament law that they were given. And does Jesus back down? No, he doesn't. He just piles it on. And then uh, it says that uh, many of his disciples no longer followed him. And even his own apostles said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? He turned to the 12, the 12 apostles that he chose. Are you going to leave me also? And what was Peter's answer? Do you remember what Peter said all the way at the end of that? He said, Lord, to whom else shall we go? One of the good things that God does for us sometimes, I'll do a sermon on this passage some other time. I promise I will uh one of the good things that god does for us a lot of times is he brings us to a place where we don't have a choice we either trust in him or we just i don't know maybe we die but he's holding us in being so i guess we don't do that either um we we trust in him or nothing um and it's not even a choice sometimes he gives us a, gives us a choice um to follow him or not follow him and other times He takes away so much that all we can do um, is beg for his mercy. So, um, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, Peter says to Jesus at the end of that John 6, verse 68 there. So, we got to be the people. Let's wrap it up by saying this. Let's be the people who say, Jesus, we don't have anybody else that we can go to. And we're not even going to try. You're the Lord. You're the one who saved us. You're the one who loves us. So let's trust in that. Let's hope in that. And we know we can seek forgiveness for that if we fail in that, if we've been trusted in other things. He'll forgive us any time, any place, no matter how many times. So we don't have to be afraid. And that is that resurrection joy that we've been talking about tonight so let's pray lord help us to trust in you and trust in you alone jesus who loved us and died for us help us to love you help us to see you clearly even if we have a lot of things competing for our attention We thank you for all that you have given and all that you have done for us. Go with us this night as we leave. I ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, thank you so much, comrade, for that wonderful reminder about God's grace.